This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good evening. In case you don't know, my name is Rush and Paul Heller. Um, I was just thinking that crosses two traditions, you know, the given name in the Buddhist tradition and the given name in my uh, family of origin. Um, what I'm going to talk about this evening is I'm here teaching a workshop called The Path of Wholeness. You know? And that's what I'm going to talk about. And I was just thinking the word path in, in uh, Buddhism, uh, in particular in early Buddhism, uh, Marga, it, it has the it has a dual characteristic to it. In one hand, it's following a heritage, following a, a tradition, like a disciple. Disciple follows a tradition, and and then in another way, the other part of it is you make it up, you know, because every set of circumstances is unique. Every person is unique. There. The, the challenge, especially in the heritage of Zen, the emphasis in Zen is the authentic expression of the essence of the teachings in the moment, in the situation you find yourself in, that you're part of. Um, so both of those in the path, the following and the creation of it in the moment. And I was thinking, well, my name carries that, you know. My name carries uh, both my heritage, uh, my, in my origin, and um, this life I've chosen for myself, or maybe it chose me, I'm not sure. Um, so path, and then wholeness. Um, I coined the word thinking of wholehearted, you know. You know, the human capacity that we're all capable of, of being wholehearted about what we're doing. And then, of course, we're equally capable, or maybe more capable, of not being wholehearted, <laughs> of being ambivalent, resistant, reluctant. But, but it seems to me, in the path of authenticity, we're in search of wholehearted expression. Yeah. And it's an interesting notion because, as Dogen Zenji said, the finder of this style of Zen in Japan, he said, no one can force it on you, and you can't even force it on yourself. You know, you can't force yourself to be wholehearted. You can force yourself to comply with what you think you should do, 
or with what someone else thinks you should do. But um, that falls short of wholeheartedness. So the path of wholeness, and then of course wholeness has other connotations to it too. Um, There's a couple of words in Buddhist terminology that get translated as perfection, you know? Like paramita, you know? The standard translation is um, perfections. In, in, in our style of Buddhism, we have six, you know? Dana, giving, ethics, patience, energy, concentration, and insight. Yeah. And, 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 it, and I would say anyone short of a realized Buddha who looks at themselves in the context of those finds their own imperfections. Yeah. But there's a very interesting um, consequence of engaging the perfections, to call them that, and discovering our imperfections, is that in the reconciliation of the two, we can find wholeness. You know? The human existence is... Um, It's a mysterious event, you know. Each one of us is capable of um, moments of stupidity, you know. What was I thinking? <laughs> well, not very much in that moment. And each one of us is capable of profound, insightful wisdom, you know. Or something in us, maybe to our own surprise, expresses itself. That way in which we say in our tradition, in our ordination ceremony, we started by saying, trusting we're already Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. But when we take on the practice, when we start to follow the path, we, we discover that that trust for almost all of us, maybe everyone, isn't a simple, automatic thing. It, it's we, we earn our own trust through our own efforts. We strive with the perfections, discover the imperfections, and learn in the reconciliation how to trust the human being we are and to trust both its imperfections and its Buddha nature, its, its innate wisdom. No. That um, living life has taught us about life. It's taught us about living. Um, and then also, 
we were born into this world with the capacity to be human. So there's, we have an innate humanity. We know how to breathe. We know how to digest, you know. Not to say uh, th- these can be ailments that we can struggle with, but that's part of being human. There's something in our humanness that comes with being born. There's something that's learned that often we don't know what we've learned until we engage it with mindfulness, when we, until we engage it with awareness and then we see what it is we know. And also, sometimes it's more than just awareness. It's being confronted with life challenges. And if you think about spiritual traditions, you know, certainly all the contemplative traditions, they have a rigor. And certainly in Zen we have a rigor, you know. Maybe not so evident in the summer. Maybe it is evident in the summer. I was thinking, you know, before we put in these wonderful fans, um, the zendo in the warm evenings like this could cook, you know. You'd come in here to sit zazen and cook in, in the heat, the humidity, being wrapped in your robes, you know. I often thought the awakening moment of those evenings was when you got to walk back outside into the cool air. <laughs> so there's a couple of words around which I want to um, formulate my notion of the path of wholeness. And the first word is um, original, original, you know, which has both origin, original, and originality. You know, the, this origin. And in this origin, not so much the, the, um, the particulars of the tradition, but what those particulars are getting at, you know. When, when, we, when we engage in awareness, you know, the word Zen comes from the, uh, the uh, Sanskrit word for absorption. To be absorbed in being in any moment. You know, this is, this is what Zazen is. It's absorption in being in the moment. Whether it's seated, activity, or any other version of human endeavor. Um, when literally, when we're absorbed in the moment, the very notion of self, the, the disposition of this separate from that, is forgotten. Yeah. 
And in that forgetting the self, um, the habits of the self, the, the, the deep concern of self-survival, in, in the many, many forms it can take, you know? Self-survival evokes most of our negative emotions. Self-survival uh, creates a sense of self and other, extended to a sense of us and them. But in the moment of awareness, in the moment of absorption in awareness, that falls away. And the more thoroughly it falls away, the more thoroughly absorption, the more um, a realization of the foundation of the fundamental ground of being is brought into consciousness. And of course, it's no trivial matter. That degree of absorption is um, usually uh, quite rare as a sustained experience. As a momentary flash, we're doing it all the time. When we come out of the womb, we were in our not knowing, in, in this revelation of being going through a human birth, we were absorbed in momentary being. The newborn infant has no sense of self and other. Actually, it takes quite a while for the newborn infant to realize that it is separate from the mother. We come into this world with some deep sense of dropping the self, because we didn't have it when we arrived. We created it. Um, and in the world of Zen, we call that our original nature the origin, you know, original mind, the mind, the consciousness of the origin. And so the very process of awareness is not to create something, it's to let what's innate be realized. Um, And so in the workshop, I've been trying to entertain the participants by giving them different exercises about how this can be experienced. Um, and I hope they were entertained. Um, and then the word, the word original, you know? When we drop the self, and then we 
resume the self. There's an opportunity to see it anew. You know, most of the religious or spiritual traditions and religious traditions, they have this sense of rebirth. You know, this going through a shift in consciousness where um, we arrive back where we started from, but we experience it anew. So we drop the self, we, and then we resume the self. But when we've, when we've let the moments of awareness register, what we've assumed, the world according to the self, that we've assumed as reality, is now seen as a construct. Are more realistic. We have glimpses of that. We have uh, some sense of that way of being, and we're still caught by the adamant assertions of the world according to me. So I read all that into this poem by uh, William Stafford. It's called Being a Person. Be a person here. Stand by the river. Invoke the owls. Invoke winter, then spring. Let any season that wants to come here make its own call. After that, sound goes away. Wait. How you stand here is important. How you listen for the next things to happen. How you breathe. Awareness, the moment, is happening. Being aware of it, being it, requires, other than when it accidentally occurs, it requires a discovery. Recently I've been using the phrase, experience the experience you're experiencing. Experience the experience you're experiencing. Yeah. It's already happening. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't like it, maybe you have opinions about it, associated thoughts, emotions, but it's it's entering into the now, enters into original mind, enters into the origin of being. In the tradition of Zen practice, this is always close at hand. No? Someone was pointing out to me today, they were saying, well, you guys have altars all over the place. And, well, and I said, yeah, we do. It's, it's a way to try to remind ourselves 
Okay, this is a practice place. Going to the bathhouse, going to the toilet, going to the kitchen, going to the shop, going to the zenda. The association of original mind, the association of awareness is always close at hand. And then William Stafford goes on and he says, in a kind of wonderful, uh, poetic way, a slow bubble rises through the earth and begins to include the sky, stars, all space, even the out-racing, expanding thought. Come back, hear the little sound again. Each moment, even though our human consciousness can think of the whole universe, each moment has a particularity. The sound of the creek, the chirping of the crickets. Suddenly, this dream you're having matches everyone's dream. And the result is this world. If a different call came, there wouldn't be this world, or you, or the river, or the owls calling. How you stand here is important. How you listen for the next things to happen, how you breathe. And from this place, here, we enter our life. We enter the next moment. We enter this great interplay of existence. And in the Zen terms, we say, not knowing is most intimate. Just assuming you know it's going to happen. It's just assuming um, it's a repetition of what happened before. You know, we, we, in coming back to now and letting that touch us deeply, Letting the wisdom of that, the insight of that, inspire us. You know, when we do that, there's a kind of vow or intentionality that comes up for us. Yeah. Maybe vow is not such a helpful word because it's so easy to assume, associate with should. You know? In the functioning of the Tao, the way, the path, um, we're attuning 
with the nature, the natural order of what is, you know. You know, the disciple follows, and the disciple has a discipline. But the discipline of the Tao, it, it's, it's evoked through the nature of what is. Physical health has a discipline. You know, what you eat, how you exercise, how much you sleep, many things. You know, it has a discipline, but it's, it's not independent of the physicality of being. It, it's evoked through being in harmony with the physicality of being. And we could say the same with uh, mental health. You know? It has its own request in terms of creating that harmony. And we could say social health. Huh? You know, we, we just see across our planet the ways in which we create us and them. And then we, by strange coincidence, think what us think and what us want is what should happen. And what they think and what they want is inferior. Huh? But when we just say it like that, I mean, we just know that's close to absurd, you know. We share this planet, you know. Us and them is just a temporary construct arising from a misperception of our shared origin. Um, so, social health, you know. The, the coming into harmony and accord with our interbeing. You know? And then we can even say environmental health, you know, coming into harmony and accord with our interbeing, with the planet, with all the life forms on the planet. So, so the heritage of the discipline in Zen has this flavor to it. You know? In, in, in Zen monasteries, you'll find, uh, like when we wash our bowls after reading, we pour the water back on the plants. And we pour it a certain way. Um, in, in some Zen traditions, even how you take water out of the stream. You take the water out, and then you give some of it back. You're not. You're not trying to um, take everything. You're trying to take just what's needed. This this harmony. And in some ways, if you think about it, it's quite different from a rigid set of right of shoulds that's based on a fixed notion of good and bad. No. And so even though we might say, 
in the expression of originality, you know, like the, the finder of this school of Zen, you know, he coined the phrase beginner's mind, you know, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. This originality, this making it up as we go along. And then the process of making it up and discovering these harmonies, we earn our own trust. And we realize our, our own intrinsic nature, you know, that as we do this, something within us blossoms, something within our shared being blossoms, something within our societies blossoms, something within our interbeing with the whole planet and probably beyond blossoms. Um, and then the other word I wanted to mention was integrity, you know, which has also integration. That yeah. as we live in harmony, this integrity is being expressed. You know, we're expressing the oneness of being, you know. Uh, w when we meet others with compassion, we, with the realization that their welfare and our welfare is intertwined, you know. Th this integrity is being man manifest. As, as we function in this way, even internally, you know, even within ourselves, there, there are um, conflicting ideas. There, there are aspects of ourself that we're not so aware of and not so readily accepting of, you know. And that's what brings us back to experience the experience you're experiencing. Because what happens when you do that? You integrate the very expression of your being, moment by moment. You know? So psychologically, we experience the aspects of ourself, you know, that maybe we'd rather avoid, we'd rather suppress or deny, you know, but there they are, you know. We experience the emotions, you know? And as we experience them, they become just themselves. They become the thought of the moment. They become the feeling of the moment. They don't impute a reality. And this is, this is how the originality and the origin harmonize. Yeah. That uh, when we don't impute division, when we don't impute a 
a separate world. When, when, when each moment's experience, the interbeing of life is expressed. But on a human term, I want to uh, read a part of a poem by Amelia Earhart. For those of you who don't know, Amelia Earhart was this quite extraordinary woman aviator. You know, she was an aviator when there weren't many aviators, and she was a woman when I think. There were almost no women aviators. And she wrote a poem called Courage. Courage is the price that life extracts for granting peace. Uh, is that or is that not an amazing sentence? Courage is the price that life extracts for granting peace. No release from little things knows not the vivid loneliness of fear, nor mountain heights where bitter joy can hear. And the courage to meet the challenges of your life. No? How can we how how can life grant us boon of living unless we dare each time we make a choice we pay with courage to behold the resistless day and count it fair so this is what i was getting at when i was talking about intentionality, our vow. Some way that this opportunity to be fully alive, it asks of us a wholeheartedness. It gives us this exquisite um, opportunity. Yeah. In the workshop today, we working off a poem by Mary Oliver. We worked in a writing exercises with these two phrases. And when I die, I want to say. And in the negation of it, and when I die, I don't want to say. No. We are alive. That part's happened. You know, whether we like it or not, we're alive. <laughs> what we do with it, that part is still unfolding. This originality, this <coughs> dipping in to the origin of each moment, existence, this coming forth wholeheartedly. How do we do that? 
What is the path of wholeness? And of course, these are just what I've just said in the last 40 minutes. These are just my ideas, right? For each of us to search around and find the expression of the request of life. And I would say, in a way that's truly inspiring. No? And I would say to you, don't settle for should. No? Should has its place, but it's, it's a limited place. Inspiring infuses us with something. No? So I'd encourage you, poke around, explore ins- what's inspiring. You know? Courage is the price that life extracts for granting peace. Uh, And all this time, the creek and the crickets and the fans whirring. And the heavy, warm evening air. And inside, the heart beating. The diaphragm moving, the lungs expanding and contracting. The mind hearing and thinking. And some mysterious thing called being alive asserting itself. How curious. Thank you.